Psalm 111. As we make our way through the scriptures, chapter by chapter, book by book, Psalm 111 is an acrostic, as is the next Psalm 112, which means that it uh, utilizes the Hebrew alphabet, successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet, beginning each line so that it'd make it easy to remember. So Psalm 111, each half verse starts with the next Hebrew letter. Psalm 111 is about the works of the Lord. It says, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. Yes, that's how it ought to be, isn't it? We should praise the Lord with our whole hearts. He is worthy of our whole heart. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So this is somebody who is coming to to uh, the assembly of believers and worshiping the Lord with their mouth outwardly, times of worship. And uh, he says, uh, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. Um, uh, The works of the Lord are great. They are a reflection, the things that the Lord does are a reflection of who he is. And our Lord is a great, is a great God, and so the things he does are great. And um, uh, he are, it says we are studied by all who have pleasure in them. Um, his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. Um, you know, his righteousness endures forever there. Uh, I'm sure glad that's the case. Uh, you know, our righteousness, the things that we can do that are right, uh, show up far too, uh, far too inconsistently. And we can be very inconsistent with the things that are good. We can do things that are right now, and then a few minutes later we can be impatient and mean. Um, The Lord is not that way. And uh, the righteousness that he gives us is perfect. And um, it endures forever. Uh, And I'm glad it's independent of who I am. uh, Because otherwise I would be in big trouble, as you would be too. Um, And so the righteousness that he does give us um, is based on what Jesus has done and what he has what what uh, he accomplished, which is perfect, and so uh, we are clothed in his righteousness before him, and I am glad for that we 're way too inconsistent. Uh, he made his wonderful works to be remembered. Um, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, He has given food to those who fear him. He will be ever mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. Okay, this this section 2 through 6 on the works of the Lord seems to focus on uh, on the um, Passover. Um, Even though the terminology about the works of the Lord certainly applies to everything he has done. Um, In this case, it says, he has given food to those who fear him. And he'll be ever mindful of his covenant. Um, well, the Bible has a lot to say about how God supplies food to the whole earth. You could look at um, you know, Acts chapter 14, Psalm 136, or Psalm 104. It says that he supplies food to the whole world. So when it says he has given food to those who fear him, uh, and then talking about a covenant and giving the inheritance of the nations, he's talking about the work the Lord did in bringing his people the Israelites, out of uh, Egypt through the Passover. And that is a work, obviously, um, where his nature and his 
power is on display. And really, in the Old Testament, that's the standard kind of calling card of God's power. He says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And, um, um, and so we study it. Uh, studied by all who have pleasure in them. Um, more than that, verse 7, it says, The works of his hands are verity or truth and justice, and all his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and righteousness. Um, okay, so, um, you know, the works of the Lord tell us things about him. That's why we study them. It says they're studied by all whom pleasure in them. Um, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. Um, you know, it comes right down to it, really. You and I, if we get to know anybody, get to know one another or anybody, we only have a few things by which we can get to know anybody. Um, apart, from, apart from recognizing, you know, somebody visually, I can recognize their face. I can recognize people on TV, their face, and say, oh, yeah, that's person. But I don't know anything about them. And I won't know anything about them until I do two things. I have to look at what they say and what they do. And then I can learn all about who they are. And that's exactly what we do with the Lord. You know, we can look around at the creation and see something about the Lord. Um, The fact that there is a world here and that... um, Nature is predictable, and, and the, the physical laws are established and run forward. Um, you know, that says something about that, that there is an eternal God who has all power. The Bible says that plainly, right, Romans? Um, and that's an essential part of who God is, knowing that bit of information. But that's very limited. You really can't know more about God Um, just from looking at the creation. You have to go and find where he has spoken and seen what he has done. But that's why we study his word then, because that's where he has spoken and recorded what he has done so that we can know about him. We can see. Well, and again, what is is given to us here in, uh, in this uh, remembrance. Uh, his work is honorable and glorious. Um, well, it's the Exodus, right? It's the Lamb whose blood was shed so that those people could be free. Now, that's again just a type, though, isn't it? It's just a type of what Jesus did on the cross. And um, we should um, see that type, that. Uh, the lamb in the Passover and his blood applied to the doorposts so that death would not come uh, and uh, the judgment wouldn't come. Um, the New Testament is, and the, the fullness of revelation on that, that work is that Jesus died on the cross for us and his blood was shed so that death would pass over us and the judgment that we are due goes to him instead, and he takes it, right? I mean, the works of the Lord are great. The ultimate work is Jesus on the cross. Um, Studied by all who have pleasure in them, his work is honorable and glorious and made to be remembered. Um, His works are great. They are desirable. 
They are honorable. They are glorious. What else does it say there? They are memorable in verse 4. Um, uh, they are, verse 6, um, they are a demonstration of his power. Verse 7, they are truth and justice. Um, you know, we can do a lot with our minds. It's one of those places that's uniquely ours. Um, despite all the, all the ways in which, you know, governments and, and rights are impinged upon, all those things, still our mind is our own. And we have a choice of what we can set, set our minds upon. The scriptures say a lot about that. They say a lot about what we do and what we should do with our minds. Um, in, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it calls us to, uh, as believers, think on things. It says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We're called really to, uh, to put good things into our minds, especially as believers, and how different that is from the world. I mean, we can saute our minds in anything these days with the, with, with the explosion of digital media. We can, boy, we can, our minds can be full of noise. 24 hours a day, um, and, uh, you know, it can be very, very good. You know, there's, there's digital content for Bible studies and just listening to the Bible being read and praise music, but the world has uh, a smorgasbord of filth also that we could just leave our minds rest in there, and uh, we ought not be surprised if we do that. With the old ad- adage, garbage in, garbage out. Um, you know, the Proverbs puts it this way, Proverbs 13.2, it says, the wicked soul feeds on violence. Um, so the flip side of that in, in uh, the New Testament, of course, is Romans, where it tells us that um, there are those uh, who do these horrible things, as we all once were, and a list of um, terrible sins and gross things, in the chapter chapter one of Romans, um, after telling us all these horrible things, it says um, that um, despite knowing all this, um, those that practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, well, well, you know, we're above that. We don't do those things, but it says, but also approve of those who practice them. We approve of that stuff when we leave it on the TV and just let our families saute in that um, we don't control that um, you know the, the content that's available out there is horrible and um, uh, we're called to uh, put our minds on much better things much higher things as the psalm does here it calls us to think upon the works of the Lord and, and uh, is there anything higher or more beautiful or more noble or more praiseworthy um, than what Jesus has done for us on the cross I don't think so. So um, they stand, his works, the works of his hands are verity and justice, verse 7. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and righteousness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And so uh, the response of 
the heart of a heart that meditates on God's works as recorded in the scriptures, uh, feasting on those things that the Lord reveals by his Holy Spirit. Verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Um, you, you've heard that before, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's um, a major theme in the scriptures. Um, you know, to start out right, you have to have the right facts. And um, to head in the right direction, you have to have the right facts. And to start in the right direction, um, you, if you're going to deny the power and presence of the Lord, you cannot hope to end up somewhere right. Um, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To begin to acknowledge him and his power and his, exist, and his existence and his uh, eternal Godhead is the very start. And, of course, you've heard the, the, the basic two axioms of life. There is a God, you're not him. Um, so what does that look like? As we begin to uh, live in the fear of the Lord, well, Psalm 112 tells us. Psalm 112, again, is another acrostic. It's going to feel a lot like Psalm 1 in that it starts very early in in, in verse 1 with the word blessed and talks about someone who is blessed. And the last verse talks about the wicked who shall perish. And there is a difference between those who turn toward the Lord in faith and repentance and begin to obey him versus those who do not. Now, outwardly in this world, as mixed up as it is, um, there may not be great tangible differences, but there are great intangible differences that are super profound. And Psalm 112, I think, outlines those. Psalm 112, uh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, that's what that says. Blessed is a man who fears the Lord. Remember, we ended Psalm 111 with, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Blessed is a man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. And here are um, the lists of ways in which he is blessed. Or you can put the she in there, right? It's to anybody who believes. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. The first thing that uh, appears in the blessings that God has for the believers is the impact of their lives on the next generation. Um, you know, it says they will be mighty on earth. Uh, the generation of the upright, upright will be blessed. Um, that's not an absolute guarantee where it says, without a doubt, all your children will automatically be, you know, righteous. And, and that's just not a guarantee that the scriptures make. Um, each person is responsible for their own decision of faith before the Lord. And, um, but um, the, 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 uh, the meaning here is that the door is open and um, the influence is brought to bear uh, in a blessed way on the next generation. Um, you know, how blessed is the, is, are the children who, or the grandchildren who get to see mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, 
um, walking by faith and talking about the Lord, making decisions uh, um, based on prayer and on God's word. Um, You know, a kid left to himself already has a sinful nature. And with the world out there, you know, there's... Well, you got, you know, you got your own story if, uh, where many people wind up in just heaps of darkness and trouble. There's the blessing for the next generation of those who follow the Lord. The impact is there. The opportunity to impact them for the Lord is there. Wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Okay, well, let's not go to verse 3 and take the world's definition of of wealth and riches and apply that because you're going to end up in the wrong place. Um, People will will take this verse and make it into a promise that God always wants you rich and uh, and comfortable and loaded with convenience, and that's just not the case. That theology is much closer to Satanism than it is Christianity. You get to create your own reality through spiritual formulas. Um, the wealth and the riches that the Lord is talking about are spiritual. Inner, inner, uh, inner riches of peace and joy and uh, promises from the Lord. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious, full of compassion and righteousness. Um, Psalm, uh, verse 4 there is, uh, I think, uh, very precious to many saints down through the ages. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. Um, again, the theology that says uh, from a, a bad interpretation of Psalm 112, you always have to be uh, wealthy and living comfortable and, and high, you know, and, and peace and, uh, excuse me, health, wealth, and happiness is the, you know, the mantra there. Um, well, I think verse 4 kind of topples that right away because it says, unto the, right, unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. It kind of presupposes that there's darkness. Yeah. Um, the meaning there is that, you know, either, either you're someone who is, has just now coming to the Lord and your eyes are opening to the gospel and to your need for repentance. You realize you're in darkness and that you, you need to turn towards God. Well, light is, is arising for you. Um, the light of the gospel is arising for you, that Jesus paid for your sin and rose from the dead for you. That's a light rising in the darkness for you. Uh, Isaiah 9-2, right? You're familiar with that. Um, Uh, the verbiage that talks about the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Um, it might be that uh, the darkness that you find yourself in is um, the darkness of the age you live in. We live in a very dark age. And, um, you know, uh, the world is struggling for hope and answers in the face of Everything falling off the rails these days, uh, morally, politically, um, internationally, economically, um, a great deal of darkness. And yet, for the believer, light arises in that darkness because they're 
They know what the Lord is doing. They know where this goes. They know that there is a hope of Jesus coming for them, uh, either in the rapture of the church in a moment of time, or the Lord chooses to tarry, that at the end we transition out of this life and go to heaven, even though we don't deserve it. So unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. Maybe maybe uh, you're just surrounded in a dark time in your life. You know what? Um, a light is going to arise for you in God's perfect time. I don't know where, where or when it's going to come, but there will come a time when the Lord will show up and it will be in his perfect time. And uh, you'll see clearly at that time what the Lord is doing. You know, uh, Jesus talked along these lines in John chapter 3. He said, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, speaking of himself, And men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So if you find yourself surrounded by darkness, um, you know what? A light's going to rise for you. You know what's going to rise? The Lord's going to show up when you just obey him. When you go through your trial, your time of darkness, just obeying him and trusting him, he's going to show up in ways that are unexpected, and that light is going to impact um, those around. Let's keep going. Light arises for uh, the upright. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. The good man deals graciously and lends. Um, he will guide his affairs with discretion, or he will, he will calculate. It's, it's literally kind of pointed at the mouth in, uh, in, with that word affairs. Um, the word there could be translated his conversation or his language, but it's also broad enough to include everything. Um, and certainly it includes um, what we say and what we do and how we uh, interact with pe- uh, people. In, uh, he will guide his affairs with discretion. A great deal of... Um, careful thinking about what we are doing, saying, and how we are acting, and how it's going to be seen by others. Surely he will never be shaken. It, it implies that there is a shaking. Okay, so the righteous person still goes through a time when there's mm, instability, but he will not be shaken. The righteous will, ha- will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. In other words, when bad things come, his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Um, Isaiah 26, 3, right? Uh, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Now, again, that meant one thing to the Jews living at that time means something else to us here. Um, we see our desire upon our enemy. That would be ultimately for them to be saved, wouldn't it be? Uh, because that would be the end of anything they owed us, right? Because uh, everything that they would owe us, any, anything that might be um, between us and them, taking care of Jesus on the cross. So... 
Verse 9, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor. Again, this is the the person who is blessed in the Lord, who fears the Lord, walking in the fear of the Lord, trusting in the Lord. What does he do? He disperses abroad, he has given to the poor. Uh, He's very uh, conscious of, of the Lord's heart towards the poor and wanting to give. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Um, Again, this is a lot like Psalm 1 um, in talking about a difference in this world between those who love the Lord and his word and those who do not. Psalm 113, uh, Psalm 113, uh, it begins a small block of psalms called the Hallel Psalms. Um, These were um, psalms that included a lot of praise to the Lord, and they would be sung um, during the Jewish feasts of tabernacles and Passover and uh, weeks. And so um, in the scriptures, when... On the last night of Jesus' time with, his, with the disciples, it says they sang a hymn. They were singing these psalms, Psalms 113 to Psalm 118. Psalm 113, praise the Lord. Again, they all start, they, all, they talk about the praise of the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, Psalm 113 is just a pure psalm of praise. There's nothing else going on there except that the psalmist wants to praise the Lord. In a lot of other psalms, praise uh, comes uh, as a means to get to a prayer request, or um, and that's fine, or as a result of a trial, you know, praise rises out of that, or conflicts. There's none of that in Psalm 113. It's just pure praise. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Nobody else is going to praise the Lord except the servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Um, you know, the names uh, given people at that time, very significant. Um, it represented their character and what they were like. So we praise that they would praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. Uh, if, you know, saying this, if, if they haven't been praising, it's an invocation to, if you haven't been praising the Lord, start now. And do it consistently. Do it all the time. Praise the Lord. There's always cause to praise the Lord. Always. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Um, that could be understood a couple of ways, either from uh, the moment you wake up until you go to sleep at night, everything in between. Uh, the Lord is to be praised at all times, and that's true. Um, that's a fair interpretation. The other interpretation is to be, um, well, uh, from the rising of the sun, rises in the, east, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, praise the Lord everywhere around the whole world. Both of those are very good. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. 
you know, we are impressed with um, national meetings and international leaders getting together for councils and confabs in the United Nations, and they sit around and, and validate their importance with one another. Um, the Lord is above all of that, far, far above that. It says he counts the nations as a small dust on the scales, just like insignificant. means nothing to him. He has a course of events for the nations, but he is not impressed. His glory is above the heavens. Now that word is plural, heavens. Um, the Bible talks about three heavens, right? It talks about the heavens, uh, heaven that the birds fly in, what we would call our atmosphere. It talks about the heavens that the stars are in, stars, and that's the rest of the universe, everything from you know, the edge of our atmosphere out towards the end of the universe, whatever that is. Um, and that's getting bigger and bigger every day as they get more and more powerful telescopes, right? Um, and then there's the heavens that he dwells in. So there's three heavens, and he says that God's glory is above all of that. He cannot be contained. It cannot be compared to who he is. All that you see, all that you can imagine, God is beyond all that. And so he asks, verse 5, Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? He dwells on high, but, verse 6, He humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. Even despite he is high and exalted and the king above all kings and lord of lords, yet he is willing to come down and be interested, very, very humble, very small things, you and I, verse 7, he raises the poor out of the dusts and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, takes them by his hand, you and I, by our hands. In a very personal, intimate way, he wants to be involved in your life, in my life. And uh, he has gone to great lengths to do that, to be right in the middle of your life, in uh, taking all of your sin and my sin and making himself personally responsible for it and paying for it. And he's done that to such a degree, so perfectly, that now he can take up residence in us by his Holy Spirit in a manner by which he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Truly, he is a great God worthy of praise. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. He is right there that he may seat him with princes. Not only does he get him out of that ash heap, you know, it's, it's coughing and you've got to get right down, right down there in that dirt to get with him. <laughs> and the Lord did that. He came right down into this dirty mud ball and got us out of it and got it and lifted us out. Praise the Lord. That he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. Um, you know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of... Um, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Going from poor to having a kingdom. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children, um, giving you know the heart's desire in joy and uh, in family. Praise the Lord, verse 9. And so we agree with that, to praise the Lord. Psalm 114, um, 
of the eight verses that are there, six of them are going to be about nature. And so it um, talks a lot about nature. And it's going to talk about the um, natural phenomena of um, what happened during uh, Israel's time in the wilderness and their entrance into the promised land. It's going to look at it from those standpoints of, of um, what happened in the natural realms. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Remember when they came out of, of uh, Egypt, they spent two years at Mount Sinai building that portable worship center we call the tabernacle. And the Lord said he would meet them there. So now verse 3 um, and on talk about uh, those things that attended um, their exodus. The sea saw it and fled, talking about the Red Sea uh, in the, the parting of the Red Sea. The Jordan turned back when they entered into the promised land under Joshua. Uh, they crossed over the Jordan in a miraculous way at the time of the flood, flood stage of that uh, annual cycle in the river. Remember the, it says that the water piled up upstream like a heap. More than that, verse 4, the mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. You ever seen those um, uh, documentaries on farm animals and they got the sheep and the little lambs are jumping around all happy style? And um, Well, he's, he's talking about the mountains at that time when Israel was at Mount Sinai and the Lord revealed himself to them, the top of Mount Sinai, and it was... Very, very dramatic with smoke and fire and clouds and rumblings and very, very impressive. So great shakings there. Um, verse 5, so the psalmist now begins to ask, hey, so what's all that about? What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back, why did you do that? O mountains, that you skipped like rams in little hills like lambs. Here's the answer, verse 7. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. So Psalm 114, again, talks about those physical uh, demonstrations of God's power that were evidenced when God was working on behalf of his people. So what's the lesson of Psalm 114? Um, it is, I believe, that God will go to any length he needs to to fulfill his word to his people. And what we see and measure out as impossible, the Lord, will, the Lord doesn't see as impossible and is nothing for him to... Uh, fulfill to to accomplish. It's nothing. To, I'm saying that poorly, aren't I? And I'm lost. Um, it's nothing for him to do the impossible to accomplish what he wants to in the in the lives of his people. Um, for the Lord to keep His promise to you and to us in His Word, uh, He will go to any length. And so uh, it talks about in Psalm 114 what. The Lord did to set his people free from Egypt. And so God's going to keep his word to you. 
and what we measure out is impossible, you know what, it's, it's not impossible for the Lord. There's nothing impossible for the Lord, right? Psalm 114, I think, communicates that. Psalm 115 is about um, um, worshiping idols versus worshiping the Lord. And it's got a very important thing to say here, one of the most important uh, uh, phrases in the Psalms, and a very important principle. Uh, Psalm 115 was probably written after they returned from Babylon. Remember, they were 70 years in captivity there. They went into captivity because of their idolatry and their, their gross immorality and depravity. Um, uh, and they were sent for 70 years to go live in Babylon. And then at the end of that 70 years, the Lord brings back and opens the way uh, for them to return to, the, to their land, their, uh, th- their uh, promised land. And as they're, as they're returning, it seems like the inhabitants who have taken up residence there are making fun of the Jews. Um, the, the inhabitants there are... are idolatrous um, foreigners who are worshiping their stone statues of gold and silver, and they're making fun of the Jews because they have an invisible God. And we have one that you could see. And so that psalm seems, seems to be a response that way, um, writing about um, uh, being mocked that way for, for worshiping the invisible God. It says, verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Um, you know, as returning from Babylon, they knew that this was just all mercy on the Lord's part. They did not deserve to be given a second chance, uh, but they are. God's, um, God's call and his purposes for them were not over with. They were not done with. He still had... Uh, he still had a very high purpose and a calling for his people. And it was of God's mercy and for his glory that they got to go back to the land and try again. You know, God is the God of the second chance and the third chance. And he is full of mercy. And his purposes, even if you've blown it, blown it very badly, still God wants to use you. And he's got enough power and he's got enough mercy and enough grace for you right here, right now, where you're sitting, if that's you, to uh, restore you back to a place of usefulness to him. But they are, they are reflecting on this, verse 2. They say, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? You know, in the reverse of that is we've got our God right here, right? Well, Verse 3, I like what verse 3 says. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Oh, that's a sorry state, isn't that? Uh, If you can make your God, you got a bad God. (laughs) you got a low-quality God. Sorry, uh, but it's worse than that. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, 
What do they do? They don't do anything. They do not handle feet they have, but they don't do not walk. You know, in the this is a major point of um, of uh, prophetic exhortation in Isaiah before the um, exile, uh, when God Himself comes down and tries to talk sense into the nation, and He says, "Okay, let's just have a competition here. Let's just we'll make it really easy. You bring your gods out and set them down, and we'll have a little competition." Um, have your God do anything. Have it, like, wave its hand. Have it just make any sound at all. It doesn't have to do much. How about just a little whistle? You know, sing it's your favorite nursery rhyme or anything. Anything at all. And uh, um, in Isaiah, he does that uh, with a bit of divine sarcasm. And uh, um, the point was that these idols of, stat- of stone and gold, silver, gems, whatever, um, they don't do anything. They're worthless. Feet they have, they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. And in verse 8, very important. Those who make them are like them. Um, that's an important concept, but it goes beyond that. It says, so is everyone who trusts in them. Okay, so um, a very, very important principle, spiritual principle, you become like what you worship is what is being laid out here. And the New Testament says something much like this, and it says it in a much more glorious fashion. That's why, um, as we were talking in the prayer room before, um, before the service, there are no atheists, practically speaking, in the world. You know that this, in this day and age, um, atheists have vaunted to the heights of esteem in society. They are seen as the enlightened and the educated, and we put them in places of honor because they're so you know, advanced that they've gone beyond the mythological. You know. um, but the problem with that is that scriptures are clear that everybody, every man, woman, child, everybody worships something. So that practically speaking, there are no atheists, despite what they say. Every person, by our physical existence and how we are made, worships something. And uh, it's that thing, if people have a hard time identifying their God, their God is is, is that thing, that principle, that idea for which they are willing to sacrifice for what we are willing to give for, what what motivates us to go forward in life. That is our God. It's what we spend our time on, what we think about, what our money goes towards. Uh, We're willing to, again, like we said, sacrifice for. It might be career, it might be prestige, it might be um, power, it might be, you know, you you can have high good things like that. That, that are socially beneficial, but you still make an, an, an idol out of it, and it's an, idolat- it's an idolatrous thing. But you can have much baser things also as idols, right? You can have sex, drugs, and rock and roll, any one of those. Uh, you can worship sports, pleasure, uh, excitement, whatever. Um, the, uh, the principle here is that so is everyone who trusts in them. What we make out to be our God 
Even if we're not thinking in those terms, we become like that thing. We worship money. We, we go after money f- and sacrifice to get those bucks. We become very calculating, very cold. Um, we worship career. We can become very brutal and, and, and willing to do anything to go forward. Uh, you worship sports and pleasure. You can become you know, very intolerant uh, of, of those who can't and don't perform that, that way. Or you go even lower, you know, I pick those debased ones, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Your life becomes a mess quickly because we become like those things. But the good side of this is that uh, we can become, in, in a measure, like the Lord, not in his divine characteristics of his eternal attributes, but... We can become loving and patient and kind and gentle people. It says in Second Corinthians um, three, verse eighteen, says, "But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord." Um, that's the good news is that as we uh, turn our hearts and minds over to the Lord and pursue him, he makes us over to be like him. What, is that, what does that look like? Read the Beatitudes. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, those who are meek and uh, gentle, um, mourning over sin, um, uh, merciful, peaceable, um, those things listed in the Beatitudes, in the fruits of the Spirit. That's the good news. We can become, and the Lord will transform us little by little, slowly, in his time, in his way, by his power, to be like him. So verse 9, 10, 11, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. More and more, that's the case these days, ain't it? With uh, current administration ramping up their uh, contempt for Israel, right? Um, that's, you know, I, yeah. I'll be honest with you here. When, when I see the administration taking bold outward stances against Israel, um, I uh, go out of my way to send an email out to uh, Israeli ambassador of the, to the United States and tell them, I'm, I'm not part of this. Don't count me in with the administration and what they're doing. <laughs> I don't know if that counts anywhere, but it does in my conscience. Maybe, you know, maybe God, I know he sees that. I hope that counts somewhere in there. You know, blessed are those who, uh, I will bless those who bless you. Verse 10, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And here we fit in verse 11, you who fear the Lord. We started that back in Psalm 111, right? Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're going to fear the Lord? Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. Here comes a veritable avalanche of blessings. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord both small and great. You know, our God's heart is to bless. 
He wants to bless you. It is his thrill to bless you. It's his mind is to bless you every day. Uh, and, um, you know, when you go to those places in Scripture where the Lord begins to do something new, you can see the word bless, just an avalanche. You know, when you get through Genesis and you get to him working with one man, Abraham, he first talks to Abraham. Look how many times the word bless shows up in that. The first time you get to, uh, you know, you get to the Psalms, the first word of the Psalms is the word blessed. The first time you see Jesus speaking publicly, as you just pick up the Bible and read it, what's the first word out of his mouth, speaking publicly? Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Our God wants to bless, and he will bless. How do, how do, we, how do we then keep, our play, keep, a, keep ourselves in a place of being able to be blessed by God? Well, you know the old hymn, uh, be under the spout where the glory comes out. Um, Jude puts it that way. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? You trust him. You, you commit to obeying him. You're not going to do it perfectly. We know that, but we want to obey him. We want to see him glorified in our life. So we cooperate with the things he wants to do by understanding what he said and how to live for him, how to make decisions based on faith, how to walk by faith, and then he's free to bless us. Verse 14, may the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 17 uh, is... Uh, a statement that comes out of the limited revelation of the afterlife that's in the Old Testament. You know, they didn't have a real clear picture of it. Um, They understood resurrection, um, but they didn't have the full light of revelation that we do, that Jesus brought. And so they say, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any go down to silence. Again, that phrase just rises out of the limited revelation of the Old Testament. We know better. Um, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And then finally, verse 18, praise the Lord. Um, Important spiritual principle there. Those uh, who make them false idols, false gods, become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Um, Psalm uh, 116 is... um, we're actually going to save that for Sunday. So here's your assignment for Sunday. Read Psalm 116. Okay? And we're going to skip it, save it for Sunday, and we're going to go to Psalm 117. Psalm 117 is uh, the shortest psalm in the Bible, being just two verses long. And it is only one psalm away from the longest psalm in the Bible. Psalm 119, a full 176 verses there. And so Psalm 117 uh, is a very missionary psalm written by a Jew who uh, very much has known and 
uh, captured God's heart for the whole world. And that's quite a, that's quite a leap for the Jews to make, especially, um, you know, especially they had been living at the time of Jesus. You know, that there was always a, in the Jewish mind a difference between themselves and the rest of the world. And that, that's a fair way of thinking. Uh, they were called to be God's chosen people in the world and special privileges given, given unique real estate, a special call. So they were distinct in the world. It's absolutely fine for them to think that way. But that, um, you know, and then they're called out to be separate from the rest of the world. And again, that's exactly right for them to be different from the rest of the world. But they had taken that too far by the time you got to the time of Jesus. Um, they began to see um, with disdain the rest of the world and that they were the only people that God would ever deal with and the only ones that God would ever save. And so they saw it as as their privilege to be God's chosen people, automatically in the kingdom of God, and uh, the Gentiles, um, as they thought of in the time of Jesus, they even went so low as to, um, some rabbis say that that, that Gentiles are nothing more than dogs, uh, and uh, no better than dogs, but also, even so low as to go and say that God had created the Gentiles only to stoke the, and fuel the fires of hell. And so, um, you know, there is a way in which um, God's people, we do need to separate from the world, from, from the parts of the world that tempt us and um, cause us to sin. We need to separate from that, and that might be people. Um, but we need to be in the world and looking at the world um, not with disdain but with um, great concern for the lost. And Psalm 117 is a Jew who has seen that heart of the Lord and uh, it really calls to the whole world to, in, in a very, you know, very short, just two verses, calls them to worship the Lord. And so it says, verse 1, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. Now that is the Lord's heart. When you read the scriptures, um, that servant of the Lord that shows up in Isaiah would be given to the whole world as a light to the Gentiles. And, uh, you know, maybe the most famous thing that ever came out of the mouth of Jesus, even though everything that came out of his mouth is recorded in scripture, is God's word still um, probably the most well-known, that God loved, so loved the world that he gave his only son. He, gave, he so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. So praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And here's the reason, verse 2. For his merciful kindness is great towards us. And here's the second reason. The truth of the Lord endures forever. His merciful kindness is great towards us. It is, you know, uh, that he would make himself personally responsible for every way in which our lives fail and violate the purposes of why he created us 
that he would take that punishment upon himself and pay for it uh, in, in totality. There's nothing left for us to pay for. That's mercy. That is the highest mercy. His merciful kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. I am so glad that there is truth that doesn't change and that endures. Um, I'm so glad I don't have to go out and find something and tomorrow it just might change. And who knows next week if it's going to be valid anymore. God's word and his truth doesn't change. It'll always be sure. Um, What did it say back at the beginning here? All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. And so uh, the missionary heart here captured by, of God for uh, the whole world, captured by the psalmist, uh, very much uh, the Lord's heart for the whole world. And, um, you know, those who are going to follow after him are going to have that same kind of heart too. We're going to be looking to, uh, looking with great compassion and concern for the lost. And so uh, verse 2 ends with praise the Lord. And so we will praise the Lord. Amen? Let's stand and we will finish there. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we do want to say thank you and to give you praise, Lord, for what you have done for us. Again, Lord, we never get tired of coming and saying thank you and praising you for um, this great salvation you've given us and the work that you continue to do in each one to make us into your image. Thank you, Lord. We're so glad that you have changed us and are continuing to change us. We invite you to lead us and guide us and fill us with your spirit and send us into the world to glorify you and to serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.